welcome back to Baking with Booze, the podcast where two friends talk about a few of the things they love most, food and the paranormal. We are your hosts, Bree and Katie, and each week we will serve you up a tasty treat and terrifying tale. So grab a blanket and a snack as we share with you what we've dug up. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Welcome back, everybody, to October's Devilish Dessert episode. Hopefully you have had a wonderful last month, a good September. Um, Oh, balls. I forgot that we're doing the, what's one cool thing that happened to you? Or what's one good thing that you can say about the last month? I forgot that we were doing that. Beach, I did too. (sighs) We're why doing we, it anyway. Why do we make this so complicated on ourselves? I, I don't know. We're like, let's just add a little bit more. Just a little bit. Anyway. <laughs> um, hopefully you all enjoyed <laughs> f- what was for us Midwesterners, at least. Well, I mean, technically it's for everybody, but weather change-wise, the last month of summer. Yes. Summer. Summer. Um, September. Yes. September. The equinox. Is that what it's called? Yes. The equinox was on... Your birthday or the day before? Day before my birthday. The day before your birthday. Mm-hmm. So, um, hopefully, God damn it, I can't talk. Hopefully, 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 you've had a fantastic last month. Bree, what um, what is something positive that has happened in your life in the last month? Okay, um, uh, the kids are doing well in school. Mm-hmm. I have not lost every ounce of gumption I have based upon our crazy schedule. Nolan is in the Scouts, and I am peopling fine there. Yay. Um, Emmett has now decided that he would like to join too, so he is in a trial period because he is the flakiest of flakes. Mm-hmm. So we, we shall see. Mm-hmm. Um, Mochi got neutered yesterday. I, I, I consider that a win, my friends, because this child is insane. Yes. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the membrane. Oh, was that ICP? I, I don't think so. I don't know. But he has been a love sponge ever since. Like, just, mom, let me give you love nibbles and pet me at all times, and I'm going to do birdie chirps at you constantly it was I, yeah uh what else uh, cypress hill we got all of our decorations i'm just wrapping some stuff up yeah the way i think uh my dress is in the works uh with the last fitting and i got the last piece for that which is cute 30 days 30 days. I I woke up this morning, I gave Chris a kiss, and said, 30 days. Mm-hmm. The no. countdown begins. The countdown begins. It is spooky season, and it is wedding season. It's the final countdown. Okay. That's enough of that. <laughs> it's the final brain cell. That is me most weekdays. I mean, it's really going to be you over the next 30 days. Yes, that is me most weekdays. I had a small bug out 
today because the baker messaged me and she's like, hey, did you like the picture that I sent her? She's like, did you like it Sienna or did you want it white? And I'm like, absolutely no white. There's no white in this wedding. I'm not wearing white. Nobody's wearing white. But what I actually said was, no white, please, with a big smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Small, minor freak out. Mm -hmm. So. Also, I have an interview tomorrow, actually. I did not tell you this. That you were saving it, weren't you? Was you saving it? Yes, I was saving it. I'm excited. Nice. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me, too. And apparently so are all the ladies at work, so that's fun. Yeah. But also, not hellhole. Not hellhole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this my neighbor. <laughs> He's painting my assholes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get the step, he must get the step. I get the window, he must get the window. I get the clock radio, he cannot afford Great success! <laughs> I've, met, I've obviously, you're aware, I've been enjoying those TikToks of people doing that with their dogs quite quite well over the last couple days since I experienced the first one. But anyway, congratulations on your interview. Thank y'all. Super excited to hear the results of it tomorrow. Yes. Anything else? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. How about you? I didn't kill anybody, which has been a challenge the last couple of days. Um, Get it. No. Get it. Look, do you want me to be in your wedding or do you want me to be in prison? Hey, look, I offered to do a drive-by and you told me no. (laughs) Girl, you gotta get married first. (laughs) You at least gotta gotta get married first. Bitch, I will put duct tape over my license plate and wear the mask. Because I can just go down the road and rip it back off. It's fine. Let's just make it through the month of October. Roll upon it. Although I did hear a little bit more today when she came over. No. And this person was considering filing a grievance against her. (gasps) Yes. Well, said he was going to file a grievance against her. Seriously, push him out in front of the building. Tell me the time and the place and I will be there. Yeah. For asking him a question, like, she, like, she thought they were friends, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. I will be smashing mail. I will bring the mailbox smashing bat, and we will just be smashing balls on the drive-by. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Mm, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I... It isn't... I think it's funny how... You and I are the least confrontational people, but we are always the first person to hype the other. Fucking do it. <laughs> I just yeah. We're like, look, um, I uh, I'm thinking about doing some shady shit. I'm having a rough day. Uh, what's your input? Kill them. Do it. Kill them. Fucking do it. Do you need help? I know we are very non- <laughs> very non-confrontational, but look, it just goes to show when we fucking had it, we fucking had it. This isn't even happening to me. It's just I'm sick. And tired of shitty fucking people being shitty to people that are nice that don't deserve it. Yes. Especially when it's somebody that I, I care deeply about. It pisses me the fuck off. Anyway, let's not go any further into that. It's um, the final nerve cell. Da-da-da-da. Yes. Da-da-da-da. Murder. Moida. 
Red rum. Red rum. <laughs> Red rum. So, uh, that has nothing to do with how my month's been. My month has been okay. Um, I'm, I was on first shift for that one week that I've mentioned before. Fucked up my schedule a little bit. I'm waking up a little earlier than what I normally would. Um, I'm not getting any more done. <laughs> um, I don't know. Everybody's healthy and happy and... Positive. Positive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been in a fairly good mood except for the last couple days, so that's just what we're that's what we're working with. That's what we're going with this month. Um, Reconnecting with old friends last weekend. Who's that? Oh, <laughs> who that? Um, girl, if you listen, I apologize. Yes, you and I went to um, reconnect with some friends last Sunday. Had a little potluck. Yes. That was very um, very fun met a new friend um looking forward to getting back together with them at some point yes we have a puppy play date um that we are going to be scheduling sometime for her sweet baby and my sweet baby so (laughs) i can't wait for that um and then just been to like concerts and stuff you know maybe a concert oh went to incarceration that was the highlight of my month yeah so anyway now that that has passed um the dish. What is the dish called? I know I'm asking you like you're the one that prepared it, even though I am the one that made it. Baked cinnamon apples is what I made. Very fall, very festive. So this recipe is actually pretty simple, thankfully, because that's what I need in my fucking life. (laughs) Um, It was just some apples, butter, oats, brown sugar, pecans, Cinnamon, nutmeg, a little bit of salt, and then ice cream to serve if you want. Um, of course, we will have the link for that in the show notes. I'm not going to go over everything with y'all, but uh, Brie, you seem to enjoy. Yes. It was tasty. Um, it was tasty. Yes. Binksy uh, boy wanted all my ice cream. Yes, Binks. He was very interested. He was sitting on your lap the entire duration that you were eating it. Yes. One hand feeding myself, one hand holding cat ass, so that way he did not fall off my lap. Correct. Um, as for those apples, I will say in here, as well as I am going to put it in our TikTok video whenever I post that, um, I picked some pretty... Thick apples. Thick boys. Some thick boys. Um, I used Honeycrisp because everybody knows those are the superior apples. <laughs> um, if you like like really sweet apples, the word's out. Honeycrisp is where, where it's at. No discussion. No discussion. Um, so if the, the link that I'm going to share says to bake covered for 30 minutes and then uncovered for 20, if you have some thick boys like I got, Probably add another 20 minutes of covered time to that, uh, just to make sure that they are nice and soft, uh, because poor Brie here was uh, having to use a knife. I was hacking. <laughs> to, to hack away at um, a more of like the meatier part of the apple further down. So at least the taste was on point. Also, I have to tell you, you... Uh, there, there is a new kid in town that may surpass the Honeycrisp. What? That is being bred by the same com- like the same farmer that we get the Honeycrisp from. It's called Evercrisp. 
It's a Honeycrisp and Ever Something Cross. I have actually heard of that. And it's a little sweeter. It's not as tart as a Honeycrisp. You know, Honeycrisp has a sweet and tart. It's a touch more sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think it tastes better than Honeycrisp. Wait, so they're, they're actually a thing that's in existence already? Yes. Okay. I was getting them last winter. Oh. I saw mm-hmm. those and I was I didn't know they, what they were, yeah. you know, taste profile wise or whatever so I didn't get them. No, they are really good. Like I prefer them over Honeycrisp. Well, what the fuck? I don't know how much like they were just trying it to see how it worked. I don't know when the harvest is coming in. Maybe they're more of a cold weather because the only time that I saw them was from like December. Mhm. Um, so I don't know. Well, we're actually planning on going apple picking tomorrow. Nice. There. So maybe I will ask them tomorrow and I can let you know. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen them in the store yet, but last year they were seeing how people liked them. Well, I'm sure if they're sweeter than Honeycrisp, then people are going to go for them. Yeah. Because Honeycrisp has that little bit of twang to it. And it definitely keeps that, but there's an addition of another sort of sweetness to it. I like it. It's okay. very good. Well, maybe Evercrisp is where it's at, but it has yet to be decided, so I stand by my original statement. But thank you for the new information. You're welcome. The theme of of this episode is assholes, apples, and Amityville. <laughs> the three A's. The three A's. Triple threat. The triple threat. <laughs> So, um, as we said in our last episode mm-hmm. that we recorded, what was that? 37? I'll be 37, yeah. So uh, it'll come out Tuesday before this. Okay. Uh, we are covering Amityville in this Devilish Dessert episode. We chose, well, Brie actually came up with the idea to... Uh, instead of doing a couple little smaller stories or, you know, listener stories, what have you, that we were going to tackle the, a Mac Daddy mm-hmm. um, for our spooky season episode. Um, we kind of took it on as I was going to attack it as, you know, this this was real. What happened? You know, we believe the spook, the haunt, and you were going to come in and try and debunk it and destroy everybody's hopes and dreams. We became a debate team. Basically, yes. For, for this month only, we have become a debate team. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am Mia Thermopolis <clears throat> with the rebuttal. I know you don't understand that reference, but it, sure it don't. makes my heart happy that I got to throw that in there. Whatever Prin- makes you happy. Princess Diaries. There oh, okay. Go. Mia okay. Thermopolis. Thermopolis. That's her last name. Thermometer. <laughs> Populous. Thermopolis. I've never seen that movie. Oh, okay. Anyway. Is there anything else that we would like to say? Do you need to get a couple chuckles out before we start? No, I'm good. Okay. So I will let you go first because I think, like, you're going to set the stage better. So. All right. So. Let's start with a little bit of... <laughs> Sorry, I had a visual of, like, you were setting the field, and I'm just going to come through and just mow that shit down. <laughs> Here comes the fuck-up brigade. <laughs> like, I'm going to plant a bunch of beautiful flowers, and then you're going to bring a, mo- a lawnmower in over top yes. of them. Okay. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, Brie. 
All right, so let's start with a little bit of information on the DeFeo family and what supposedly happened and kind of lay out a timeline here. <coughs> so, in the middle of the night on November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed six of his relatives with a 35 caliber rifle while they were asleep. He killed his parents, Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., his siblings, 18-year-old Don, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew. DeFeo did end up confessing to his deeds. However, his defense would later attempt to would later attempt to enter a plea of insanity. DeFeo claimed he was guided by malevolent voices in his head and couldn't control his behavior. It was this claim and the murders themselves that spawned the notion that 112 Ocean Avenue itself was haunted and that the DeFeo family as a whole were victims of the house. On the day in question, DeFeo Jr. left work and went into, went to a bar. He kept calling his home to no avail and complained to patrons about it. He eventually left and ended up returning at 6.30 a.m., it doesn't say i never found out like exactly when he left the bar it didn't say uh he returned at 6 30 a.m which that's a hardcore fucking bar if it's still yeah if it's still open then (laughs) no last call ever yeah party on wayne (laughs) okay um at 6 30 a.m he returned and he yelled you got to help me i think my mother and father are shot Authorities found all six family members dead in their beds, shot with a rifle at around 3.15 a.m. and positioned on their stomachs. There was no sign of a struggle, and there was no sign that they were drugged. No local reports of gunshots were logged, and the only thing that any neighbors had noticed was the DeFeo dog barking away. DeFeo Jr. changed his alibi several times, ranging from claiming he was at the bar during the time of the murders to a mob hitman named Louis Fellini, killing his family while forcing DeFeo Jr. to watch. He eventually confessed that he gunned his family down and ended up standing trial on October 14, 1975. Um, The attorney, William Weber, tried to enter an insanity plea, uh, but the prosecution argued DeFeo Jr. was a drug addict who was well aware of what he was doing that night. He ended up being convicted on six counts of second degree murder and sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. That is what I have for the very first bit. Uh, now let's move on to, uh, the Lutz family, the Lutz family, where more of the paranormal activity enters the, the majority of the, you know, logged, accounts of it yes so um it wasn't until after the lutz family moved into the house in december of 1975 that the purported haunting of the amityville horror house allegedly set in george and kathy lutz purchased the 4,000 square foot house at eighty thousand dollars which was a steal especially for the area um by the way if you weren't aware the town of amityville is only about 30 miles away from new york city And it is, the house itself was in a very nice, um, upscale neighborhood location, at least at that time. I'm not entirely sure what it's like now. I'm sure it's probably still hot. 
Hot-cha-cha. Hot-cha-cha. However, despite finding a beautiful home for a very good price, the family ended up moving out just 28 days later after allegedly experiencing terrifying paranormal activity. Green slime purportedly oozed from the walls and there were eyes peering into the house from outside. There were foul odors and Kathy, the mom, even allegedly levitated in bed. George would claim that he would wake up at 3.15 each night, which was the exact time of death of the DeFeo family members. Uh, now in 1977, the book The Amityville Horror by author Jay Anson was released, and it was based on these reported events and served as the foundation for the 1979 film of the same name, which was remade in 2005 with Ryan Reynolds. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, the book became a bestseller while the film grew into a classic. Anson's book used 45 hours of the family's recorded interviews as a basis. And one of the three Lutz children, Christopher, confirmed that the hauntings happened. So now that we have some of our key players down, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more in depth about the different paranormal activity. Um, perhaps one of the, um, as I was saying, perhaps one of the most well-known pieces of evidence, if not the most well-known pieces of evidence, that we have is the picture of what appears to be a young boy that was captured in 1976 by Gene Campbell, who was a professional photographer who was part of the team who worked with paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, Gene had set up an automatic camera that took infrared pictures to capture the second floor landing during the evening. Equipped with black and white film, his camera captured the Amityville ghost boy photo that some believe to be the ghost of the murdered child, John DeFeo. It features what appears to be a young boy with white eyes peeking out of a doorway. George Lutz revealed this photo himself on the Merv Griffin show in 1979, three years after it was supposedly taken. As I mentioned, the Lutz family claimed to smell strange odors, see green slime oozing out of the walls and the keyholes, and experienced cold spots in certain areas of the house. <clears throat> they also claimed that a nearby garage door kept opening and closing, um, and that there was an invisible spirit knocking a knife down in the kitchen. Um, a pig-like creature with red eyes would stare down at George and his son Daniel from a window, um, and their sons Daniel and Christopher also uh, levitated, while they were lying together in their beds, uh, of course, separate from the levitating incident with Kathy. <clears throat> now, of course, many people have questioned the validity of the Lutz's story. However, after telling their story, George and Kathy both took a lie detector test to prove their innocence, and they passed. <clears throat> their son, Daniel, who lives a quiet life now in Queens, claims the house ruined his life and that he continues to have nightmares to this day. So here are some, some more bits of evidence that I find a little bit more juicy. We get into a little tea spilling. So, um, like I said, many people believe that this was a hoax. However, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were popular and respected demonologists, believe that the hoax rumor began with a man named... Oh, a man who... Damn it, a man who called himself Dr. Stephen Kaplan. However, he held no doctorate degree from any university. 
This fact was exposed on several occasions, yet that never stopped Mr. Kaplan from making these claims. He was the self-proclaimed president of the Parapsychology Society of Long Island and some other related societies, presumably founded by himself. As far as the Warrens can tell, he hated them because Mr. Lutz had called Mr. Kaplan prior to calling the Warrens, asking him to investigate the situation. When Mr. Kaplan showed up to the house to investigate, he showed up with six witches and the Channel 7 news team, and Mr. Lutz threw Mr. Kaplan off of the property and ended up calling the Warrens instead. This started a 20-year vendetta against the Warrens. The basic claims of Mr. Kaplan insisting Amityville to be a hoax were actually discussed with Ed and Lorraine on a Long Island radio show. Kaplan insisted the Amityville was a hoax because of Jay Anson's book that had some inconsistencies in it. Ed and Lorraine agreed that there were some inconsistencies within the book, but only because Mr. Anson, the author, was unfamiliar with the terms typically used in the field of demonology, not because of any purposeful error on his or George Lutz's part. It seemed that Mr. Kaplan simply couldn't let go of the idea that he had ruined his chance to become involved in what may be the world's most famous paranormal investigation and therefore started the rumor that it was a hoax. <clears throat> Mr. Kaplan also wrote a book concerning Amityville called The Amityville Conspiracy, and one week before the book was published, he died from a heart attack. The book contains far more contradictions and misstated facts than the Amityville Horror book by Jay Anson. Kaplan was never even inside of the Amityville house except to attend a party which was not part of an investigation. Ultimately, a Babylon, New York radio station made Mr. Kaplan apologize to Ed and Lorraine because they uncovered that Kaplan had fabricated the hoax rumor. Prior to apologizing, Kaplan swore that he had photographs and investigative materials claiming that this was a hoax. However, Ed Warren offered him $5,000 to show him the hoax evidence, yet Kaplan declined. When Ed Warren asked how Kaplan had conducted his investigation, Kaplan couldn't even specify what equipment he'd used. Now, stepping away from the hoax debate, I'm telling you, this is, I got, I got a lot here. Yeah, no, I... <sighs> Now, stepping away from the hoax debate and Mr. Kaplan, we are going to talk about Ed and Lorraine's evidence. What follows is a short version of their own story about their Amityville investigation. This was compiled from their oral history during a meeting in October of 1997. <clears throat> so first off, just a little peek at uh, some of the history of the property, which I'll mention again later. Um, the property was used as a sort of insane asylum for Native Americans who were sick and dying. Uh, there had been an enclosure on the property where the patients were housed. Um, and as we all know, inhuman spirits tend to revel in such suffering and are able to infest the graves of those who are buried in unconsecrated ground. <clears throat> Enter Ed and Lorraine Warren. George and Kathy were living at his mother's house in Deer Park, New York, because they were too afraid to go back to the house in Amityville. They were afraid to even speak of the phenomena, and they had left all of their furniture and possessions behind. <clears throat> the first time the Warrens went to the house, it was with an anchorman from the Channel 5 News 
a professor from Duke University and the president of the American Society for Psychic Research. That first day was horrifying. Lorraine received nonstop clairvisual and clairaudio messages about the phenomena that had occurred. Now, those that know about Ed and Lorraine Warren know that um, they're both people of God. Um, and But they also know that Ed isn't really the one that's known for having the special abilities. Um, Lorraine is a medium. Um, Ed, like I said, normally never experienced uh, any clairvoyant feelings at all. However, when Ed went down into the cellar, he saw shadows along with thousands of pinpoints of light. These shadows attempted to push him to the ground um, because he was trying to use uh, religious resistance and commanded the evil spirits to leave. Um, he immediately got the sensation of something attempting to lift him off of the ground. Um, although he knew that this was a serious case, he had no idea how severe it really was. Um, and he has never been so seriously affected in any case before or after the Amityville horror case. As for Lorraine's experiences, Lorraine was frightened even before she entered the home. Uh, she had contacted some priest friends in advance and asked them to accompany her in spirit into the house. She took relics, relatives, <laughs> she took relics with her of... Padre Pio. Did you come across that? No. Okay. Padre Pio. I think it's P-I-O. Uh, which she received in a letter from a total stranger earlier in the week. There's no more information on that. Mm -hmm. um, as she went to the stairs to go to the second floor landing, she felt as if there was a huge force of rushing water against her. And the atmosphere around her was solidifying. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I didn't um, proofread this because <laughs> I was so tired. And I was just going balls to the wall on voice text. And so instead of it saying rushing water, it says a huge force of Russian water. Fucking <laughs> 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 commies. <laughs> so also, if I like stutter or pause in a section, it's because voice I did the work. <laughs> yeah, I did the work, my friends, but. I didn't check it, <laughs> so... I didn't proofread. I didn't proofread to make sure voice to text and fuck me over. Um, as I said, she felt the atmosphere around her was solidifying. Um, Marvin Scott, who was the anchorman, was on the second floor with Lorraine when he was quoted as saying, I hope that this is as close to hell as I ever get, as they went into Missy's room. Lorraine immediately knew that Missy's room had the same furniture in it as it did when the DeFeo girls were murdered. Mr. Lutz had let his children sleep in the DeFeo children's deathbeds. How lovely. Yes, because they had the DeFeo furniture as well. That I don't think that we mentioned that. Yeah, no, not until. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mention that. Just FYI. <clears throat> now we know. Uh, yeah, so the DeFeos left their furniture there, mm -hmm. and they just got fucking using it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Miss, oh wait, um, also in the master bedroom, one wall has all mirrors. Uh, Lorraine sat on the bed where the detail, detail? DeFeo, see? Nah. Where the DeFeo parents had been shot. Um, only the mattress on the bed had been changed. Everything else in the room belonged to the DeFeo family. 
The feeling in this room was that of absolute horror, and going from room to room did not dissipate the feeling at all. One just seemed more horrible than the next. Once she was downstairs again, she was asked to communicate with the spirits in the house and ask what really happened. All of the investigators were in the room. Uh, the investigator from Duke University actually passed out cold from fear. Two of the other investigators complained of heart palpitations and had to rest on the floor. Uh, the house seemed to have the most dire effect on men. Uh, however, um, a woman named Mary Pascarella, who was the director of a prominent psychic research group in New Haven, actually became so ill that she had to be taken outside. And from that moment forward, she never entered the house again. Um, Ed and Lorraine left at 1 a.m. and both were so affected that they vowed they'd never go back into the house again. Now, of course, they did. Um... <laughs> And so the Amityville Horror was born. Um, here are their more detailed reports on what happened um, and some other claims that the family had made after their initial visit. Um, a Catholic priest had arrived while the Lutz family was unpacking to bless the family home. Uh, as the priest made his way upstairs to the second floor entering the bedroom, which had formerly belonged to Mark and John DeFeo, he began sprinkling holy water, at which point an unseen voice told the priest to get out, which he hastily did. Can't blame ya. Uh, the priest did not tell the family about the voice, but he did warn them not to use the upstairs room as a bedroom and do not let anybody sleep in there. They abided by the words of the priest and ended up turning that room into a sewing room. Uh, from the very first night that they moved in, the, fam the family claimed they felt strange and sensations. Within days, the family's personalities had drastically changed and arguments ensued. George was plagued by a constant chill and spent all of his time feeding the fireplace. Uh, there was also a big change in his grooming habits, and his and Kathy's health both started to drastically decline. The Lutz daughter began spending all of her time in her room playing with an imaginary friend named Jody. She described her friend as a red-eyed pig who could transform not only in shape but in size, at times being larger than the house itself. Um, Jody also claimed that she could not be seen by anyone unless she wanted them to see her. Uh, along with the green slime and foul odors that I mentioned earlier, black stains appeared on the toilets and ceramic fixtures. Hundreds of flies appeared in the sewing room, despite it being uh, in the dead of winter. Uh, George awoke one night to witness his wife transform into a 90-year-old hag, which was uh, happened the night before she began levitating over the bed. The family tr tried on numerous occasions to contact the priest, only to find that the phones would cut out whenever they would try to call. Um, after failing to get the priest to return, the family took matters into their own hands by arming themselves with crucifixes and walking through the house reciting the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> A chorus of voices interrupted in response, asking them, Will you stop? Not enough. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. AKA me as a ghost or spirit, whatever. Like this, can you just not, can this you is, just stop? This is not mass. Okay. Yeah. Like this isn't going to work. Frankly, you're just agitating me. I'm probably just going to be a bigger dick now. Just leave me be. 
will you stop? <laughs> the final night was reported to be the worst, uh, banging and rapping as loud as a marching band emanated throughout the house. Furniture moved on its own, and the children were being terrorized. Uh, it took 20 days after the Lutz family fled before Ed and Lorraine were called in by the Channel 5 news reporter. Along with Ed being physically pushed to the floor while in the cellar, Lorraine was also overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the DeFeo family's bodies laid along the floor covered in white sheets. The research team also captured an image of a spirit that appeared to be a little boy I mentioned earlier. Uh, the land was also found to be used by a man named John Ketchum, who was a practicing black magician and had a cottage on the land prior to the construction in 1924. Apparently, John had requested that his remains be buried on the property and they remain there until this day. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there was an enclosure on the land which was used by the Native Americans to house the sick and the mad, and those that were in this enclosure were just simply left to die. So that's the meat of what I have. Okay. And then I just wanted to say, uh, the people that are saying that this is a hoax um, and questioning, you know, of course, the validity of what happened with the DeFeos and what happened with the Lutzes, <clears throat> they want to say it's a hoax. It was a pretty expensive hoax. Um, you know, something, it just doesn't make sense for somebody, let alone a family, you know, with young children, uh, to spend that much money on a house, um, only to leave 28 days later. Um, I don't know many people that could afford that. Uh, so it was an expensive hoax if it was a hoax. Um, and as, as far as also trying to prove that this had actually happened you know you have multiple people in various fields of parapsychology and just multiple witnesses many a smart people <laughs> um that had experiences within the house themselves uh, many that were that ended up being physically affected. Um, like I said, uh, Mr. Kaplan uh, ended up passing away just a week before his book was published of a heart attack. Um, unfortunately, um, Jay Anson, uh, the other author, ended up suffering two heart attacks as well. Um, the first one, he lived through the second one, did unfortunately claim his life, um, along with uh, the Mary Pasquarella, who, you know, had had a, a very foul reaction from that. So it seems like pretty much everybody that was involved in the best investigation of this or there to witness or what have you, it seems like a lot of people had adverse physical reactions. Um and then it also kind of comes down to Ed and Lorraine. Um, they were, and still partly are, uh, respected uh, demonologists, you know, uh, pioneers in their field with uh, many other cases, you know, that anybody can look up. Um, 
And so it's almost, if you're questioning if this is a hoax, you're also questioning, of course, Ed and Lorraine. Um, so that's kind of what I, that's my side of it. Okay. So knock me down, why don't you? All right. So let me, where to start, where to start? You're going to tell me all those people were lying. Oh, I'm going to tell you all these people are lying. Let's let's put this in the forefront. I don't believe that Ed is credible. How wooed. Not wooed. Many, many accounts that Ed was in it for the money. Because he is quoted several times wanting, not just in the Amityville, but in many other things. He was interested in what kind of money it was going to make them in interviews. They never charged for their services to help. It was the interviews and shit like that that got them their money. Lorraine, I am behind Lorraine all day long because she is the one with the gift. She has put in the work. She has put in that shit. Ed, no thank you. Also, um, while we're on the subject of Ed, I also don't like Ed because of his grooming a 15-year-old girl and being in a relationship with her for 40 years. Wait, what? Yes. Yes. Go go look that up for me. Um, Is that Lorraine, I'm assuming? No. 40 no. years? Yes. Lived in their home with them. BT Dubs. Okay, okay, ma'am. So you're po- <laughs> you're poking holes in Ed Warren. Yes, I'm I'm poking large holes in Ed Warren. You are behind Lorraine. I'm behind Lorraine. I. What does that mean then for? Oh, we'll get there. We'll okay. get there. I just okay. want I just wanted to get my feels out about Ed because I feel um little sliminess, lots of sliminess. Okay. Well, Ed was a man, so. Mm, yeah. Quote unquote. Sorry, Lorraine, who will never hear this, but I don't really like your husband. I'm all for you, but I don't like your husband. Well, if she knew about it, then she's kind of shitty, too. You know, the day and age and the the fact that he was deep in the religion he was in, you just, I don't know. It's one of those things, like would you be able to leave? You know? Trauma. Okay. So, let we'll start with the Native American thing. Let's let's start there. Let's do it. So, I just need to know how many articles <laughs> did we read together? Like, the, oh the my same God. articles. There was a couple that we read. One of them that you were talking, I'm like, uh, I've definitely read this one. <laughs> okay, so, thing I found hilarious. You go on to Ed and Warren's uh, page for the N-E-S-P-R. Uh, they actually... S- spell the tribe incorrectly Shinnecock is the tribe that they say actually lived there that is not true they never lived there it's the Montauket nation not the Shinnecock and the that nation said that they never buried their dead nor was it a place for mad people there is no record that there was ever Native American burial ground or sanitarium on Ocean Avenue. This is a quote. 
according to Long Island Native American expert John Strong, author of We Are Still Here, many Indian groups lived along the tidal bays in the area, but as far as the claims about the Native Americans made in Jay Anson's Amityville Horror, he insists that it leads him to believe it was all an entertaining hoax. Representatives of the local Indian population personally took author Rick Osona, Osuna? Osona. Uh, to several abandoned Indian cemeteries that are right outside of the village of Amityville. Sadly, these grounds are now being used as dumping areas. Regardless, these native people's oral histories are quite amazing, so if a burial ground would have existed, then they would have known about it. Besides, these native people were kind and gentle, so it's absurd to think they would leave anyone out and expose the elements to die or curse a land. Rather, they took care of their sick, dying and mentally insane, and even showed the European settlers how to do the same. And this information is courtesy of the Montauket Nation. So, so there was never any burial ground on, <laughs> on or near 112 Ocean Avenue. Correct. Which, by the way, I know I didn't mention this, but um, it is no longer uh, 112 Ocean Avenue anymore. Yes, we will get to that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's go to the next one, Mr. Ketchum. Gotta catch them all. Pokemon! Oh, that was uh, lively. <laughs> <sighs> Mr. Ash Ketchum, please step up. Okay, so their next player was Mc Rick Moran, who was the founder of the ASUP, which is the Association of the Study of Unexplained Phenomena. And he found that there was a prominent Ketchum family in the area, but there is no evidence to support the idea that John Ketchum, if in fact there was a John Ketchum, or any other members of the family practiced witchcraft or the black arts. So he may not have even existed. May. May not have. May not have even existed. All right, so I also find it amusing that there were several other cyclical research teams that came in there. It wasn't just Dr. Kaplan. It wasn't just the just Ed and Lorraine Warren, but there were other cyclical research teams. None of these teams, except for the Warrens, had any physical proof that there was a haunting there. So that strikes me a bit of sketch. Also, Dr. Stephen Kaplan was a doctor. Funny enough that people say he doesn't, he isn't a doctor. So he wrote the counter argument, as Katie said. Um, the Lutzes called him and canceled after calling him to investigate because he said that he, was ex he would expose it if it's a hoax. He was going to come in for free, check it all out. And they asked, like, what's, what his fee was going to be. And he said, ultimately, nothing. But if it's a hoax, I'm going to expose you. So they told him not to come. And then they called the Warrens. They said it was because his credentials didn't check out. But <laughs> Mr. Cap or Dr. Kaplan was recognized by the AAPHR, which is the Association of Advanced Parapsychology and Hypnosis Research Appreciation Award, 
in recognizing an outstanding contributions to the first national parapsychology. Oh my god. <laughs> you gave it to me from earlier. Parapsychology convention <laughs> in October 1978. Uh, he received the Reverend Dr. Montague Summers Memorial Award from the Count Dracula Society in 1977. Oh, Dracula. The Dudley Wright Commemorative Award for Special Achievements in Promoting in the Field of Vampirology, which he was a vampirologist. Nice. The Albert Einstein Award uh, Success, Inc. Uh, Parapsychology Hall of Fame in 1982. The AAPR PHR, I'm sorry, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Award for Outstanding Research in 1983. AARP. <laughs> and the Hypnosis Hall of Fame in 1987. In case you want his credentials, he went to the City College of New York, got a BA in Sociology, City College of New York, MS in Education, uh, S-U-N-Y at Stony Brook got an M.S. in Interdisciplinary Studies, and he went to Pacific College for his Ph.D. in Sociology. There's where the doctor comes in. So the Warrens were hypocritical in denouncing Kaplan. Uh, Kaplan was at the house several times and did not find any evidence that the Lutzes claimed. He looked at the doors that they talked about being ripped off the hinges. He looked at the windows they said that were smashed in. So he did actually go to the house. Uh, the Warrens were actually the ones with the camera crews, not Kaplan. He did not come there with witches. He did not come there with the Channel 7 News. They're the only place that you can find that information is the Warrens. They're the only ones saying that. His entire book, his entire book, the, you know, the counter... Amityville Conspiracy. Yes. Uh, is the evidence necessary? Ed was saying that he would provide him with $5,000 if he could, you know, say that, provide him with any evidence. He wrote an entire fucking book about it. Uh, he even challenged the Warrens to a lie detector test, which Ed declined. He said that if one of them was lying, then that one would have to leave their field forever. It, it got into this big heated debate, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and Ed declined. The Warrens were the only ones to state that Kaplan started the hoax rumor when it was actually unknown who started it. So that radio show, you actually cannot find what episode it was, and the radio show host did not make him apologize to the Warrens. Nobody seems to know exactly which radio episode it was. So that was, once again, something that's only being promoted by the Warrens. Oh, uh, Anson. So Anson's book, like you said, was from recordings. People assume that he's the authority on the subject, but he only did it from the recordings that he was given. And he even said that he... He was quoted saying that he used that book, the, used the recording as the basis and then made the rest of it to be entertaining. So it wasn't a factual 
retelling of what happened. Just wanted to make it spooky. All right. So the nail in this coffin, because some of this is pretty trivial, like the father who blessed the house before they moved in and then after they moved in, did not tell the Lutzes until they moved out about his experiences. All right. So here's kind of the um, <clears throat> nail in the coffin there. There is actually a contract between uh, Ronnie DeFeo Jr., Mr. Weber, who was his lawyer, the Lutzes, and let's see who else real quick. So Hoffman, George Lutz, Kathy Lutz, Mr. Weber, Burton, and Mars. All were shareholders uh, in this hoax. So I will actually make sure that this is in our show notes, but there is a contract between all of them and a letter from Ronnie DeFeo himself that this was all blown out of proportion because they wanted books and movie deals. So there is a contract that is notarized, a, a, a letter written by Ronnie DeFeo and notarized with his signature. Um, and then obviously the uh, jail notary, however that might have been at the time, saying, let me find his real fast. Uh, so this is addressed to his lawyer, um, Mr. William E. Burton. Dear Bill, this letter will serve to assign to you any and all right title and interest I may have in and to any of my rights in connection with the publication or any disclosure of the events uh, which occurred in November of 1974 relative to my family and any and all occurrences or circumstances surrounding such event up to and including the present time. This was after the Lutzes had already moved in because this was February 27th, 1976. It is understood that you may publish without any further consent from me any and all such facts, circumstances, and other information you may have, and that I hereby specifically waive any and all privileges in that regard. In the event that such publication is made, which shall result in the receipt of revenues from any source in which you are connected, I will receive a royalty payment as follows. One, five percent of the first one million and zero cents, so one million dollars, in gross receipts. Two, four percent of the second million dollars. Three, three percent of the revenues thereafter receive. I also understand that a corporation will be formed for the purpose of holding the copyright of any book that may be published with any licenses for any further publication of the story. This corporation will agree to enter into more formal contract with me, including the above terms. Very truly yours, 
Ronald J. DeFeo. And in the contract, you will see that all these people that I mentioned beforehand call themselves the corporation or the company. So essentially, they all entered into it with the understanding that they were going to use the story for publication. So we talked about Ronnie's contract, and there was a New York Times interview with Ronnie, or he was called Butch, that was his uh, alias. Speaking to reporters today at the Suffolk Country Correctional Facility, the prisoner Ronald DeFeo Jr. insisted on his court-appointed lawyer in 1975, William Weber, pursued an insanity defense against Mr. DeFeo's wishes. He did this, Mr. DeFeo said, to make the story more attractive for possible book and movie contracts. William Weber gave me no choice, said Mr. DeFeo, who was sentenced to life in prison and who is now 40 years old uh, at the time that this article was written. He told me I had to do this. He told me there would be a lot of money from book rights and a movie. He would have me out in a couple years and I would come into all that money. The whole thing was a con, said Mr. DeFeo, except for the crime. So another section of the article, uh, so he met the Lutzes when they had moved out after living there only 28 days. The couple were interested, he said, in developing the demonism aspect of the case. Mr. Weber said he told the Lutzes what he learned about the house. He spoke of a cat, like, um... Ronnie was talking to the Lutzes. He spoke of a cat belonging to the neighbors that tended to visit in one of the windows. In the Lutz version, the cat became the green-eyed pig. Red-eyed pig. Jody. Yeah, Jody. He said he told the couple that Ronald DeFeo Sr. had once struck his wife as she carried a plate of spaghetti. She fell down the basement stairs, the tomato sauce splashing over the walls. Ronnie DeFeo Jr. was eating dinner in the kitchen and did not stop his meal. On the big screen, the sauce became the green slime or ectoplasm that seeped out of the floorboards and the walls. It was a hoax, DeFeo says. We took real-life incidents and transposed them, said Mr. Weber on the television program A Current Affair in 1988 a videotape which was played in the courtroom. In other words, it was a hoax. So his lawyer says it was a hoax. Mr. Weber also said um, he received 15000 for his services in connection to the book and the movie. Uh, so that would be Ensign's book, and I assume the first movie at this point. Mr. DeFeo, in his interview today, said Mr. Weber had promised him fame and eventual freedom if he would plead insanity. He said it would be the Godfather and the Exodus, I mean the Exorcist, all in one. I said, I got enough problems already. (laughs) True that. So my last points here are that the current owners, uh, Jim and Barbara Cromar, Cromarty, I'm sorry, Cromarty, sued Prentice and Hall, who are the uh, printing company, for the book. Uh, 
and the author Anson and won out of court. Um, I'm not quite sure why they sued them, but they did have to change the address number because people were trying to break into the house and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So they sued the the company and the author and won in a settlement out of court. The priest who blessed the house uh, sued for distorting his involvement, and he also won in an out-of-court settlement. Um, Mr. Weber, the lawyer sued for his share of the rights in the book and the movie and was settled out of court. The Lutzes then sued Mr. Weber and lost. Isn't that weird that a priest sued somebody? Because uh, the movies distorted his involvement. (laughs) I know, it's just... I don't know, it's not... It's just not something I would think of. He actually says like he wasn't as involved as they make him seem and again they just grossly overdid it of people's involvement and even i was confused when i read this article but this person is not a part of the amityville but her story was the english amityville um so anita gregory who is a parapsychologist actually sued the company who made the conjuring 2 Okay. No, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Um, so she sued them for libel, which is uh, slandering, defamation of character, whatever. And she also won in a settlement out of court. She was the one in the movie The Conjuring 2 that was trying to make it seem like, like, trying to prove that it was a hoax, right? Yes. That's what I thought. Yes. Um, so they also did her wrong. Same company, um, but also did her wrong. Um, somehow it got lumped into this, but I, you know, after doing some digging, I realized that well, it's... because the Warrens investigated that as well. Yes. Yes. So, there is my conclusion to why this is a hoax. I am willing to believe that there may be some bad juju from, you know, a whole family being murdered. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Um, I could even see that maybe there was a portal for a demon at one time. Um, but as far as the Lutz family goes and their what they said happened, I think that whatever happened was grossly over-exaggerated simply for movie and book rights, especially with that contract coming to light. Um, because that was talked about even before, um, Ronnie was fully sentenced and before, you know, his insanity plea had been given. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe fully what they're saying. And I feel like the warrants coming in with all this evidence, uh, is pretty convenient when other people had no evidence that were asked to come in. And a lot of them aren't mentioned, but once or twice. Mm-hmm. The Warrens were just popular. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, I think maybe one of the biggest things, of course, it's when a, a terrible tragedy happens, like the murder of, you know, a, a family, especially, you, you know, teenagers, young children, uh, 
trying to come up with a reason, no matter how illogical it may be, you know, to, to explain the tragedy. I can understand that, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when, I mean, mental health uh, and, you know, the stigma surrounding it has come so far. We still have a lot of work to do, but it was the 70s. Yeah. Like, you know, people believing in uh, multiple personality disorder and you know, just all this wide array of, you know, other mental issues that people suffered with that we just didn't have a name for. We didn't completely understand back then. Right. Um, I could see how it could be like he, he had to have been possessed. Who in their right mind, mm-hmm. you know, would would murder their family like that. Right. So I think it was a combination of trying to explain a horrible tragedy in a way that you could just try and wrap your mind around back then, as well as the odd manner in which uh, they were murdered. Yeah. Um, Like I said, uh, you know, they were all gunned down, not no evidence of being drugged, uh, you would assume that if somebody is shooting inside of a house, yeah. uh, you know, that whoever you shot first, it would wake up the others and they would run or what have you. And there was just no evidence of that, of them being tampered with, moved, whatever, in any way. So I think that was probably another thing that added to the, well, it had to have been something paranormal because nobody in their right mind would do that as, um, as well as the odd manner in which it, you know, it all happened. Right. So I think those two, those two things came together to plant the seed in which the Lutz family was able to grow the money tree, essentially. Right. And I agree. Like I, I have no like argument against what happened with the DeFeo family. Like, um, I fully believe that Ronnie, even though he says he's not, um, pleading insanity, like he, he denounces that. I don't think he's insane. I just think he's mentally ill. Obviously you have to be, if you're going to murder your whole goddamn family. Yeah. There's fucking Um, something wrong. Yeah, having people, um, he's changed the story 15 times, Mm -hmm. and that was just as far as, like, the 90s, I think. Um, So, changing your story that often, I do think that that is some sort of mental illness, maybe schizophrenia, I'm not sure. Um, So, yes, I fully believe, like, that, that, like you were saying, that just sort of sowed the ground. Yeah. And, I mean, the Lutz family knew that this is where they all died there. Yeah. They knew that this was all their furniture. They had a priest come and bless the house before they even moved in. Yeah. They got it at a discount bargain-ass price because of the family dying. Like, they knew. And, I mean, like, some states, I know not all states have to, Mm -hmm. um, even now. Um, I don't know what the laws were back then. Uh, it kind of seems like maybe it, it was a law put in place. Like it yeah. was around back then, but typically I would say, even if it isn't a law, it's probably just good business to mention when, as a realtor trying to sell a house, showing the house, mentioning that, you know, a death had taken, you know, had took place there. Um, 
right. X amount of years ago, whatever. Like, I think they have to disclose that to you. Yes. Or at the very least, if they're, like I said, for good business, they probably fucking should. So it was very unlikely that the Lutz family had just, you know, stumbled upon a haunted ass house. Right. And not knowing the prior events that took place because a home that looked like that mm-hmm. in the area that it was in for the price that it was at, you gotta go. What now? What's the catch? Yeah, because here at one of the websites I'm using, it says they were told by the realtor about the house's history. Yeah. And the Lutzes discussed it amongst themselves to make sure everyone in the family felt okay about living there. The family felt that it was a terrible tragedy, but they were not superstitious. Uh, so much so that they kept the goddamn furniture. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were thinking, cheaper house, one I don't have to furnish. And I'm not superstitious. Gots it. Yeah. Totally cool. Well, this is definitely, um, are you finding more? Oh, I was just looking to see how much... I mean, it was a decent amount that they offered for the house. It's $80,000 back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a big house for that many people. In a that nice were, area. Yeah, in a nice area. Yeah. So, yeah, like, they, uh, it had a heated swimming pool. Fucking A. And a basement. And it was right on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had an extra expense for the boathouse as well. Mm-hmm. Well, so hopefully you all enjoyed that. Uh, I know it was a little different. Intense. It was quite intense. I think we both had, like, the serious face on, like, I'm going to convert to. I know my eyebrows were in my hairline at one point. When I was talking? No. My... Or when you were doing your research? Yeah, when I was, well, when, yeah. when I was just talking here, like, oh. I, I get passionate about talking and then I feel like my eyebrows just you know, slowly Inch make up. it, make it up the face. Inch up your forehead. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't know a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, even as somebody that has a, uh, or is part of a, uh, horror podcast, mm-hmm. I am skeptical of things. I, I, I've, I've always just been a very skeptical, analytical, need to see it to believe it type person. Uh, so I never, you know, fully believed in the whole Amityville thing. Um, but having those things that, you know, your side of things definitely made me go like, wow. Okay. Fucking false. Twas false. I'm with you. I I can agree that there was probably some residual ickiness left over after what happened to the DeFeo family. But it's almost impossible to, you just can't, I can't anymore even consider that it was haunted, haunted, like the Lutz family was claiming. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, like I said, I could even agree that there was like, you know, like we've talked about before, like a demon portal or something like that. I could even believe that. But I don't believe everything that they were saying. No. I believe that a lot of that was just sensationalized. Yeah. And just the fact that, like, nobody else seems to have this information besides the Warrens. Yeah. And they would have been in on some sort of contract with them, too. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as... 
Girl, as soon as I saw that contract, I'm like, yeah, your shit is done. <laughs> I'm like, at this point, I'm just adding little tidbits, you know? <laughs> like, I got the fun part. You got the... And that's, like, my... <laughs> that was my, my reason, because... You know, when you brought this up, I was like, okay, well, who's going to take the it's true part and who's going to take the this isn't true part? You're like, and I'm giving Brie the fun sucker part. <laughs> you're like, I don't care. I'm like, I'll take the it's haunted part. And you can just come in and destroy me with facts. I came in like a wrecking ball. Oh, my. You sure did. Um, thank you very much for your story as well as your beautiful vocals just now. <laughs> um... Like I said, uh, I know it's a little bit different than what we normally do. We normally don't try to debunk these kinds of things, but something this big that has had so much controversy surrounding it for so many years, I I enjoyed it. It would be unfair for one of us to take on one of these Mac Daddy stories. Correct. So, yeah, I kind of like doing the either take it on together or have a debate about yeah. whether it's real or not. Because there's always been, you know, obviously controversy yeah. around this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and this definitely will not be the last time uh, that we do something like this. No. Um, I I know I do have a couple listener stories for next month's episode. Oh. So may have kind of a more original um, Devilish Desserts episode next month. Yeah. Um, However, I look forward to collaborating with you on some other uh, big stories like this. Nice. I can't think of any off the top of my head, which I am super ashamed of. But um, can you think of any? No, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, my mind's just like, look, bitch, you spent two and a half hours researching Amityville yesterday. Your yeah. brain is done for. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It yeah. was, it was like three hours of yeah, s- yeah, <laughs> sifting through the interwebs. Yeah, I, my throat hurts. My throat mm-hmm. hurt last night from talking so much into my phone, voice to text. Yeah, trying to get everything out. Um. Anyway, is there anything else that we would like to talk about or say? That's. I was just checking I thought there was something else another point that I had had that I wanted to mention at some point also um there was one more point that I had I will have a link to um the um contractal well I will have links to that um but also the uh Montauket Nation, I will make sure that I have links to their website and also the Shinnecock Nation, uh, so that way you can go check out their stuff, make sure that you support their uh, donations. You know, we've talked about them. I want to give them their due Yes. in this story. All right. Well, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that story. I know it's a little bit of a long one. Mm-hmm. You're fucking welcome. Our brains are fried. Buckle up, buttercup. Buckle up, bitches. Just kidding. So uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Baking with Booze, and you can send in your listener stories as well as recipes to baking underscore with underscore booze at yahoo.com. Um, remember to like, share, comment, follow, subscribe, fucking review and rate, whatever, all those words. Everything baking with booze. Um, 
our TikTok is staying active weekly. Mm-hmm. We are doing uh, posting recipe videos every week. Yes. Um, so you can find, you know, of course, our story links and our recipe links and our show notes. Uh, but you can also head on over to TikTok and see us actually make the stuff. Anyway, y'all can go do all that stuff. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. You have a fantastic spooky month ahead of you and we will see y'all in November for our next episode of Devilish Desserts. Happy spooky season. Have a spooky season. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.